Good morning. Greetings in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn to Luke chapter 24. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24. The four Gospels, including the Luke, we have the historical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 1, the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, verse 1. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why seek ye the living among the dead? Verse 6, He is not here, but is, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his word. May God add blessing to the reading of his holy word. Loving Father, open our hearts and minds to thy holy word. Speak to us. Pray that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified be uplifted, be exalted this morning. Pray that the Holy Spirit of God point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to us, the Lord, wisdom and grace from above. Bless thy servant, give utterance from above. Bless our time together. We thank you for thou art our risen Lord. We thank you for thou art in our midst. We pray and ask the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we have the resurrection history recorded for us that they went to the grave and they were asked the question by the shiny one, why seek ye the living among the dead? Brothers and sisters, what we have before us in the resurrection of Christ here in the gospel, you get the historical account of it. But in the rest of the Bible, Acts, and mainly in the epistle, you get the interpretation of such an event. What did the death and resurrection of the Son of God mean? It had happened but what does it mean to God? What does it mean to us? What does the interpretation of such an event? For example, you see someone you know driving a high-end, fully loaded new Mercedes, and that is the act. And that even needs to be interpreted, doesn't it? Someone might say, what a waste of money. He's in debt. Look at, look at that. He's going out and getting a luxury car. Don't they know how to govern their money? Someone else might say, I knew he wouldn't Never be able to afford that. He probably stole it. <laughs> but the fact is that his car broke that day and his rich uncle lent him his Mercedes. You see, every event need to be interpreted. So Christ rose from the dead. What is the interpretation in the mind of God? What is the impact of such an event? It is the rest of the word of God, Acts, and mainly the epistle that gives you the interpretation. This morning we only have time to look at a few verses from the book of Acts. So please turn to Acts chapter 2. In the time that we have before us, we would like to look at how the resurrection of Christ from the dead gives boldness and confidence to the Christian faith in Christ Jesus. That it gives you confidence in your faith, that it gives you boldness in your faith. The resurrection of Christ. What we see in Acts chapter 2, the resurrection of Christ was God's 
vindication of his sacrifice on the cross, what he accomplished on the cross, God was pleased with his beloved son, but man was not. So some men did not understand it. So we break in here at Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as he yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, he have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. The basic gospel message in the book of Acts is that he hung on a tree and the Jewish nation crucified him with their wicked hands. Now we have to understand that the Jewish people were God-fearing people, believing in the Creator, believing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. But where the problem came from was that they did not believe that the Lord Jesus was the Son of God. Therefore, they considered him as a criminal. As a criminal, as a religious pervert, they hung him on a tree as an outcast. You understand that the cross was like a capital punishment for criminals because he said he was the Son of God. So they hung him on a tree, but the God of heaven disagrees with their verdict of him. Look at the next verse, verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. While men crucified him as an outcast, as not the Messiah, as not the Son of God, God says, I do disagree with your verdict. Although in the counsel of God, he was to die for our sins on that tree. But in the condemnation of Christ, God will say, I disagree with your verdict. And before death could ever take hold of the blessed Son of God, before his body would ever start to decay, on the third day, God himself raised him from the dead. As we read in verse 24, whom God hath raised up. It was God that did it. And if God himself is satisfied with the Lord Jesus, if his blood shed on Calvary was something of God, and God finally needed to be exalted and raised to the right hand of God, or in other words, if Jesus the Messiah is good enough for God, then is he good enough for you? Is he good enough for us? If God has exalted him to his own right hand, should not he be our Lord and Savior? If we are compatible with God, we must agree on the Lord Jesus' issue. For God hath raised him from the dead, and he would not let death get a grip on him. Look at verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for it is on my right hand that I shall not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. My soul will not stay in hell, or the grave, or the prison, and the body will not begin to decay. You remember the curse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, For dust thou art, and unto dust shall thou return. Man, as he dies, will return back to dust, but not so with the body of the Lord Jesus. Though he died, the decay process stopped it. It didn't, it didn't set in. God stopped it. It was not possible for the Holy One to see corruption. Verse 28, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. 
Thou shalt make me full of joy and thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. So Peter says, now David wrote these words, but his body did seek corruption. In fact, you can see his grave today. Okay, David is not speaking of his sepulchre, his bones are here. In fact, it returned to dust. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Verse 30, Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sown with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. You see, David himself, from your own scripture, he told them, these Jews, he predicted that Messiah's body would be unlike anyone else, but he will die, but his body would never see corruption, and his grave is empty. He is not here, he is risen. Why seek he the living among the dead? The tomb of the Lord Jesus is empty, and his body did not see corruption, and he says, God did it. In verse 32, this Jesus had God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. God raised him up, so God is satisfied with the Lord Jesus, and he further adds that we are witnesses. You see, the tall apostles saw him alive, they saw him eat, they saw him drink after his death. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 calls it infallible truth. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 records more than 500 Christians saw him alive. You know, two or three good winners here in the U.S. can sometimes turn a whole court case. Here we have over 500 witnesses. And some of them have written it down for us that after this man died, they saw him alive. And witnesses conclude a case. He has indeed risen from the dead and God himself did it. Now this would bring the people to a crisis, a decision point as some call call it in their lives. If you remember back at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, what the Jewish nation thought of him as a whole as he hung there. Remember, it was the religious leadership cast in his ears as he died bleeding on that cross. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 42 they said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. So they are asking, where is the power? He saved others. If he is the Messiah, the king of the world, the one who is going to subdue all nations and exalt Israel, he can get a few nails out of his hands from the Romans. We must see some power. If he indeed is the son of God, the king, let him come down, and if we see that power, then we will believe. Listen to what they say, what they said in the next verse, verse 43 of Matthew chapter 27. He trusted in God, let him, that is God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The whole thing in their mind wrote on this, that if he is the son of God, let God rescue him now, if he wants him. 
If he is the son of God, what father with power would stand by and watch your beloved son being battered by someone and you have the power to stop it? And you just stand there and can look at him and they would conclude, you don't love him, you're not connected with him. Look, you're not intervening. If he will have him, let him deliver him now. For he said, I am the son of God and God did not deliver him of that cross. He died and he finished the work and their conclusion was that he cannot be of God. God did not have him and they walked away that day. Yet the apostle comes with this message. Oh yes, God does have him. He has exalted him by resurrection to the very right hand of God himself. And God did it and that death is for our sin and God does have him. Therefore, if God has him, you must have him. So the apostle points to the supernatural circumstance of his death. What is that? That he rose from the dead, that the grave is empty, and his body did not see corruption. Look at verse 33 of Acts chapter 2. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which he now see and hear. God, so we see God did have him. Therefore, if we are compatible with God, we must have him. How does he prove this? To these sinners who have crucified him, he will point them to the supernatural circumstances of his death, that the grave is empty, that he is risen, and his body never saw corruption. Then he says this to them in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this same Jesus whom he have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You crucified him, and God has a different verdict. By resurrection, he is Lord and he is Messiah. You and God are disagreeing. So some of them were pricked in their heart and they repented and they said, what shall we do? And he said, there is a way back and is by coming to Jesus Christ. And they believed in his name and were baptized in the name of Jesus and received the gift of Holy Spirit. Now as the apostle, when preaching this message, the resurrection became the proof that this crucified one rejected by politics and religion, this bleeding weak one is indeed of God and accepted by God and the supernatural circumstance of his death prove it, the resurrection. Now turn to Acts chapter 3, we see the same logic. Acts chapter 3 verse 13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified his son Jesus whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But he denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and kill the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. The one you killed and let the murderer go so that the Lord would die the just one. God himself raised him up once again, he will bring the supernatural circumstances at his death, the resurrection. His body did, did not see corruption and saying, this man is of God, you must come to him if you want to be right with him and there is a way back to God. You will see it again in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. For the sake of time, I'll just skip the verse, you can take a look at it later. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. You will see it again in Acts chapter 5, verse 30. 
over and over in the early chapters of Acts. The basis of resurrection is that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord and Messiah. And with full confidence, you can put your faith in him and not have to worry, oh, this is some religious cult. God himself raised him from the dead. So to accept him, to accept the Lord Jesus is to accept God. It reminds me of Acts chapter 17, verse 31. When the message went to the Gentiles, it was similar. Acts chapter 17, verse 31, whereof he had given assurance unto all men in that he had raised him from the dead. It's God's sign, it is his assurance, it's God's evidence for your faith to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the empty tomb. Having said that, there are many times God communicates these truths with pictures. God, long time ago, has communicated by pictures or by graphics. It's called typology. Old Testament stories, that particular story will picture the truth of the New Testament. This truth of identifying with the right person to be saved from my sin and to be saved from judgment and the fact of which turn you and me to him is the supernatural circumstances in his death. That is a picture for us, for us in the Old Testament. You will see what saved these people from their sin in judgment. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for their sin. But what convinced them to come to him? It was the resurrection. God's supernatural circumstances in his death. And by identifying with the Lord Jesus, they experienced salvation and forgiveness of sin. Now let's look at that picture in 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13, very family passage. We have looked at it many a time. A little bit of, a little bit of the background. Solomon married many foreign women. And as a result, his heart was turned to other gods of the surrounding nation. Idolatry was introduced and the kingdom was torn into two, the northern and southern kingdom. The northern ten tribes known as Israel or Ephraim went to Solomon's servant Jeroboam as prophesied by Ahijah the prophet. First Kings chapter 11 verse 29. The two tribes in the southern kingdom known as Judah plus the Levites went to Solomon's son Rehoboam. And you know, the temple was in Jerusalem, located in the southern kingdom. So you have Jeroboam, who invented a counterfeit religion in the northern Israel. You have two key figures in chapter 13. You have a man of God from Judah, from the southern kingdom, and the lying prophet from Bethel, from the northern kingdom. So for connection's sake, I will start from chapter 12, verse 32. 1 Kings chapter 12 verse 32 And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the 8th month on the 15th day of the month like under the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing under the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. Verse 33, And so he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, in the month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burned 
incense. So God had an altar for sacrifices for the atonement of sin. It was in Jerusalem, the city that he had chosen to put his name. First Kings chapter 11 verse 36. God had a priesthood, but along comes this man, Jeroboam, and through a political maneuver devised in his own heart, so that the northern kingdom will not make the trip out of his kingdom down to Jerusalem where the temple was, where the southern king was, that is Judah's king Rehoboam. He said, let us make a religious center. If they go down to Jerusalem, they won't have allegiance to me anymore. So he devises in his own heart an altar so that they have something that looks like the real thing, but it is not. And he acts like the priest and he has a and he has the false sacrifice and false priesthood. But it satisfied many people and he erects one of these altars at Bethel. Now God would send his man to Bethel to rebuke this king for this false sacrificial system that was not of God. So this is the background. Now let's go to chapter 13 verse 1. First Kings chapter 13 verse 1. And behold there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. So we are introduced to a man of God from Judah by the word of the Lord. Well, he comes to Bethel, verse 1, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now the man of God gets there and he cries God's judgment against this false sacrificial system. Look at verse 2. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burned upon thee. So this is the prophecy. This altar someday God is going to raise up a man by the name Josiah, a king, and it will not be animals upon you. It will be the very priest and those from the high places even those that have died, men's bones will be put upon this altar in a judgment of God and will be burned upon this very altar and God will wipe out this whole thing someday. That was a prophecy from the man of God from Judah. Coming judgment upon false religion and sin. Verse 3, And he gave a sign the same day saying, This is a sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent. The sign is that the altar will split apart. And the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. Verse 4, And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand which he put forth against him dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. So we see hostility against the man of God, but that hostility was circumvented. You know, Jeroboam's hand paralyzes. His hand becomes withered. He couldn't move his hand. Verse 5, the altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given to the given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. So here is the king. He wants the man of God to pray to God, not about his sin, but about his suffering. 
is not concerned about his sin, but is concerned about his suffering. In mercy, God heals his hand. End of verse 6. And the king's hand was restored him again and became as it was before. So you say Jeroboam deserves to fall. You say judgment deserves to fall on Jeroboam. It deserves. But it didn't. It will be on a future day. We will see in chapter 13 here where God's judgment falls. You will meet several people in chapter 13 that deserves instantly to get God's judgment, but they will not get God's judgment. But one person that gets God's judgment in chapter 13 is the man of God from Judah. Let's read on. After the king's hand was healed, the king was impressed. Verse 7, And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. You see temptation here. Jeroboam, he wasn't willing to turn from his sin, but appreciates the physical things that were happening to him. Verse 8, And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. The man of God said, the man of God says, he said, God gave me his word. I'm not allowed to eat. I'm not allowed to drink. I can't even go home the same way that I came. You can give me half of your house, Jeroboam. I won't do it. For God told me to do it another way. So the man of God withstands the hostility as well as the hospitality of the enemy. No compromise whatsoever. He did not take any reward. Well, he's on his way home. Verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his son came and told him all the works that the man of God had done this that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his son, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon. And went after the man of God, and found him sitting under a oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said, Then he said unto him, Come home with me, and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. So the word of, so the word of God has directed me, I cannot come home with you, and so on. Now we are going to see this old prophet. He didn't rebuke the altar at Bethel. He didn't have passion for God's glory being counterfeited. This old prophet had no wisdom, no piety, no spirituality. He was a deceiver. It was George Muller that prayed daily, Lord, keep me from dying a wicked old man. You know, the old prophet was a man of God. He was a prophet. But he appears to this man of God, verse 18. He said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him, bring him back with thee into thine house, and that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. 
the old prophet is a lying prophet. He said, an angel had told me that, now that you can do this, it's okay. This reminds us of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. The apostle Paul speaking of the just for our sin in his resurrection, that faith in him alone is enough plus no human works. He said, we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you. That which we have preached, let him be accursed, anathema, under the judgment of God. My dearly beloved, there are many religions today that have angelic appearances and prophetic revelation, or prophets who get revelation, they sound impressive. But if it doesn't match the word of God, if it doesn't match the original, it is false. And and the prophet lies to him that an angel told him. Look at verse 19. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet, that is the old prophet, that brought him back. Verse 21, And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water, in the place of, of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come under the sepulcher of thy fathers. In other words, you will never make it back home. You will not be buried with your fathers. You will die before you get home. Well, verse 23. And it came to pass after he, after he had eaten bread, after he had drunk that he saddled for him the ass to wait for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by. And the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now here is the man of God. And the judgment of God followed the man of God, follows this man of God from Judah, and he dies, the lion killed him. But what the lion did not do was touch his body or his carcass. Unnatural going against nature. The lion just stood by and never ate him. The lion never eats the body, then the ass, the lion never attacks the ass. The nature is overruled here in the death of the man of God. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm 116. Now from this point on onwards, from this point in his death, the man of God from Judah becomes the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his death, we have supernatural circumstances. We have nature reversed. A lion doesn't eat the body. A lion doesn't touch the donkey. Just like two kittens standing together, nothing is happening. This is showing something. This death is not a, no accident. This death was of God. What proved it was the supernatural circumstances in his death that it was divine because it went against nature. Well, verse 26. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, 
It is the man of God who was disobedient under the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him under the lion which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. And he spake to his son, Saddle me the ass, and they saddled him. And he went and found his carcass cast away, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion has not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. So the lying prophet, he gets there, and he sees the supernatural circumstances of the man of God's death. Nature has been reversed. The lion has not eaten the carcass, nor torn the donkey. Well, verse 29 and the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he said, his carcass, and he laid his carcass in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother, verse 31, and he came to pass after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, when I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. The old prophet realizes something. He realizes the man of God indeed was a man of God. And the word he had spoken was God's word. And what convinced the old prophet was that he looked at the death. He he looked at his death and saw the supernatural circumstances of his death. It wasn't an accident that God himself slayed this man. And what proved that, of course, was the supernatural circumstance of not eating the donkey nor eating the carcass. Therefore, he wanted to identify with the man of God. Now look at verse 31. Verse 31, And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, when I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. Watch why. Verse 32, for the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. What this man predicted is of God and is coming and it will happen. Judgment is coming and I want to be identified safely if you will with the man of God for judgment will not fall on him now that he is dead. You see when we look at it it does not look fair. Jeroboam didn't get judged right away, neither did the lying prophet get judged, but the man of God from Judah got judged. We're going to see the very man who caused the death of caused his death. The lying prophet is going to be saved by his death. You say, well, that does not seem fair. We who have caused the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has died for our sin and judgment has not fallen on us, nor is it fallen upon many false religions around? But it did fall on the man of God from Judah. Jesus Christ of the tribe of Judah. The man from the tribe of Judah. And it fell upon him. And what convinced today that he is indeed of God? If you look at his death, the supernatural circumstances in his death. That is what Peter points to. When we look at that, he is risen from the dead. It was not possible that death could take hold of him. His body did not See corruption. And he points them to the supernatural circumstances in his death. Overriding of nature in the death of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. The reverse of nature. It was in decade. He rose from the dead. And he convinced many that Jesus Christ is Lord and is God's Messiah. And those who 
put their faith in him, suddenly the death on the cross is nothing to be ashamed of. I want to identify with that death that he did die. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We thought God was punishing him. We thought he was a blasphemer. But now that they have discovered verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 53. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Jehovah Rapha, the healer of our soul. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Jehovah Shalom. As we look at the resurrection of Christ, the reverse of nature in his death, suddenly it tells us that this is the right one. This is the right one and we can place our trust and faith in him. This is what the old prophet did. Look at verse 33 of 1 Kings chapter 13. Verse 33. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places, whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin under the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. Jeroboam did not turn from his sinful ways. You know what encouraged him, what emboldened him? The man of God died. That was the man of God that rebuked him. The man of God cried judgment, cried out judgment against the altar. So when Jeroboam gets the report, the man has been killed by lion, you know what the implication is. For the man has been punished by God. Look, the very man who rebuked me, his life is over, so I must be right with what I'm doing. He doesn't repent, he continues on. You see, the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ has done two things. It has convinced many people that he can't be of God. You speak to an Orthodox Jew and ask him the question, why won't you accept Jesus as a Messiah? One reason. The Messiah is told in the scripture that he will bring peace and he will conquer the enemy. Christ did not conquer anybody. He has no power. We have no peace. So the death of Christ is a stumbling block and is a fact that he is weak and that he can't be of God. He wouldn't, he wouldn't come out of the cross. So the very death of Christ has emboldened them to reject Christ and go on. But those like the old prophet here who will take the time to look at the supernatural circumstance of his death, they'll be, they will be convinced of the exact opposite. Okay, he is the man of God, his prophecy will come to pass, and I want to identify with him in his death. Now look at what happened, Second Kings chapter 23, please. Second Kings chapter 23, couple hundred years have passed, almost 300 years have passed. One day God raises up King Josiah as he prophesied by the man of God. You see, God's judgment did not fall on the false religion first. It did not fall on the lying prophet. It fell on the man of God from Judah. But by falling on the man of God from Judah, it will provide salvation for those who identify with him. Look at verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 23. Moreover, the altar was at Bethel and the high place where Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made both the altar and the high places. He broke down and burned the high places and stamped it small to powder and burned the grove. And as Josiah turned himself, he spied the sepulcher that were in the mound and sent and took the bones out of the sepulcher and burned them upon the altar and polluted it according to the word of the Lord which the man of God proclaimed who proclaimed these words. So Josiah, he gets the priest, he burns their bodies on it. He finds the bones of the older ones that have died, uh, that have worshipped 
at that high places, and those bones were dishonored and being burned upon the altar in judgment. So he's going around just like God said, carrying out judgment now and even burning bones on that cursed altar. Then look at verse 17. Then he said, that is Josiah, what title is that I see? What is the gravestone that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the sepulcher of the man of God which came from Judah and proclaimed these things that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone. Let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone. They let they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came from Samaria. Prophet that came from Samaria, the lying prophet, the old prophet. Verse 19, and all the houses also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the king of Israel had made to provoke to the Lord to anger, Josiah took away and did them according to all the acts that he had done in Bethel. And he slew all the priests of the high places that were upon the altar and and burned men's bones upon them and returned to Jerusalem. So Josiah, he carries out in dishonoring the dead God's judgment upon apostate religion. But there is one grave that he did not touch. That is the man of God. He didn't touch his bones, nor did he touch the bones of those who were in the grave with him, the lying prophet. And the lying prophet, so to speak, found salvation from God's judgment by being identified by the man of God in his death. And what caused him to do that was the supernatural overruling of nature in his death. My dearly beloved, what a picture. We who have caused the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, our sin require required an atonement, a propitiation to God. The judgment of God did not fall on false religion, even to Israel who crucified him at that point anyway. It hasn't fall on, or fallen on us as sinners yet, but it did fall upon his beloved son. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And when you and I by faith would place our confidence in that, that he is of God, that God raised him from the dead, and that we will identify that, that death was not for his sin, that death was for my sin. That blood that was shed was necessary for our payment to a holy God. And we identify with him in his death. God saves us. We are reminded of Romans chapter 6 verse 3. Know you not that so, so many of us were baptized in his death. Were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. When you trusted Christ and showed death by public baptism, you are identifying with the death and person and resurrection of Christ. When you by faith identify with his death, someday God's judgment will fall on apostate religion and it will, just like it did in Josiah's day. But those who are buried with Christ in his death will find out that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Like the lying prophet who caused his death, he found salvation from God's judgment in his death. What a tremendous picture we have. And what is that confidence? Because the man of God, the lying prophet, turned to the supernatural circumstance of, man of, of the man of God's death. What, while it caused him to place in faith, it caused King Jeroboam to be hardened. It causes some to say, Christ can't be of God. But those who will look at the evidence will say, yes, he is Lord and will cause you to identify with him and be saved from judgment. And it gives you confidence in the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ gives us boldness in our faith. Christ died for our sins. 
And if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. God has raised him from the dead, and it gives us boldness in our service for the Lord. May we take the gospel to the people that we come across, people that are in the shadow of death, people that are in darkness. The resurrection of Christ brings power to every Christian who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May his great name be glorified.